podcast, where you'll learn what it takes to create your dream professional dance career. Join us as we dive into the insights and experiences of the world's top dance industry professionals, including dancers, choreographers, agents, casting directors, educators, and other dance industry experts. We explore a diverse range of topics, from personal development and mental skills to audition techniques, creating meaningful industry connections, social media marketing, seeking out dance agents and casting opportunities, on-the-job etiquette, talent unions, pitching to the media, health, finances, and so much more. Here is your host, Menina Fortunato. So today's guest is a longtime friend of mine that I haven't been able to see in person in a really long time. So I'm super, super excited to have her here. She's originally from the Seattle area. She started as an NBA Seattle supersonic dancer while she was majoring in business administration from the University of Washington. Then she moved to LA, which is where I met her. And she had an incredible career as a dancer. She worked on the TV, uh, the films, You Again, The Muppets. She's worked with Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, Katy Perry, Fergie. She's also been a Radio City Rockette in New York. So she's been, I guess you could say, bi-coastal. And then she also toured with MJ Immortal, the Michael Jackson Immortal Tour produced by Sip Soleil. And then she did the residency MJ1 in Las Vegas. And then since her experience with Cirque on the performing side, she is completely flip sides and now the artistic casting advisor with Cirque Soleil. So now she's in charge of actually hiring the talent. So let's give some love to Miss Tammy Toe. Yay, welcome. I'm super excited to have you here. So you come with a wealth of knowledge, so much that I want to make sure we touch all these touch points because most people don't know your very diverse background. So I feel like there's so much we can talk about. We can talk about you as the performer. We can talk about you as the casting advisor. You even have a business accounting tax background. You're a wife and a mom. You literally have done everything from East Coast, West Coast. So it's a dream to have somebody like you to share your wealth of knowledge. So let's start at the beginning. All right. How did Miss Tammy Toe become who she is? Let's give us the backstory, the short version of how you started dance and where you are today. Okay. So grew up in Seattle area, grew up dancing at a studio. We did like kind of that competition circuit, just a hair, like just a touch my studio wasn't really into that. We were much more into performing. Like we did the Nutcracker every winter. So pretty like solid ballet background, I guess. But I really grew up just learning all styles. Um, my teachers really kind of nailed that into us, that it was all about like being able to pick up everything that was thrown at you and pick up the styles. So not just the steps, but so then did that. And then I went to college And I was still teaching dance and just kind of doing that on the side. But then my junior year in college, I decided to audition for what was called the Sonics dance team back then. It was for this NBA, Seattle Supersonics. And I made it, did, you know, the dance team for two years, my last two years in college. And it was honestly the first time I realized that you could make money dancing, like just performing. Up until then, I'd always just done it for fun, you know, just did it as a hobby growing up, but never realized that it could be a career. So then my senior year in college, you know, I was on track to graduate with my business degree and I was going to meet and greets with accounting firms and it just didn't feel like me. It just felt so foreign and it didn't inspire me. 
So I decided like, I want to say the last half of my senior year in college, I just dug in. I went to a local dance studio called Westlake Dance Center in Seattle that has turned out a ton of amazing dancers. And I just started training like crazy. I took every class I could. I work studied there. So I was going to college. I was teaching dance and then I was dancing Sonics, And then I was at the studio in the middle of the night, like sweeping the floors and cleaning the mirrors and just doing whatever I could to take dance classes. And then two weeks after I graduated from the UW, I packed my car and I drove down to LA and I started just, um, actually did, what is it called? Dance with the force at LA, uh, from LA dance force. Was that through LADF? Yeah, it was through LADF. So I got with the force at Edge. So I got basically a scholarship at Edge for the summer. Remember that? Uh huh. And so that was kind of my big wow moment. Like, okay, I have this opportunity to take classes for free at the Edge for you know two three months and then just go for it. So that's how I started. That's amazing. I didn't realize you're one of those kids. I remember going to LADF and I was never one of those kids, but I remember seeing those kids getting selected and you guys got to train. That's amazing. But I did get an edge scholarship, but only for one week, (laughs) but that too opened the doors where I was like, Whoa, this is where I want to be. It was that scholarship. I was 16. Okay. So fast forward. Now your main gig, it seems to be that you're the casting advisor at Stiff today. So tell us a little bit about kind of the transition where you were the performer and then you became casting advisor. What is, how has that changed your life? What's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, like everyone else during the pandemic, it kind of put a hold on my life, which was hard, but also great because I am a mom. So I got to spend time with my family, with my husband, with my kids. So for about 18 months, I was just at home you know, and I do taxes on the side. So I actually was still working during the pandemic and I was helping to prepare taxes. I work for a local firm here in Las Vegas, but then I think it was July of 2021, 2022. I don't even know anymore. We got noticed that Cirque was relaunching. So they were slowly, but surely opening up all their shows. So prior to the pandemic, I was a character at MJ one. I started out as a dancer there and eventually kind of transitioned into this character role, which I was kind of this ninja martial artist slash dance, kind of this hybrid role. So I relaunched the show. I helped them reopen very soon after that. I talked to my AD and I said, Hey, you know, I've been doing this a really long time. I love it. And I'm happy to help and be here and relaunch the show, but I'm also ready to just transition. I was just ready. I didn't have anything lined up. I just knew that it was my time. And so I told them, you know, if you can find my replacements, I'm ready to teach them, you know, pass the torch and then I'm ready to move on. I think not even 24 hours after I sent that email to my artistic director, there was a job posting on Cirque du Soleil's job website. And it was for this role for artistic casting advisor based in Las Vegas. So I said, why not? I have nothing to lose. I'm going to apply. The ball got rolling. And I think maybe six weeks after that, I got the job. So I basically kind of trained my replacements over at MJ1 because at that time I was still performing 
So I helped to train my backup, my replacement, and then I was still an on-call and an on-call is somebody that just gets called into the show as needed, you know? So if there was an emergency and they still needed coverage, I would jump into the show. But at that same time, I was integrating into the casting department. So I had all of these balls in the air. And then, you know, I think it was at the end of October. Then I finally kind of hung up my shoes at MJ1 and went a hundred percent into casting. And then I've been there for now, like a year and a half. I've been in the casting. Mm-hmm. Now that you're on the other side, is there anything that you wish you knew as a working dancer that you know now as in the other side of casting? <laughs> all the things. I wish I knew all of the things when I was. So what are all the things that I'm sure these dancers should know? <laughs> um, so it's so much about being prepared. You know, we as dancers, we put so much pressure on ourselves and like, do we fit the part? Do we look the part? Am I, you know, am I wearing the right outfit? Am I this, am I that, you know? And it's honestly some of the most basic stuff already, just having that ready for you that you don't have to think about it already makes, puts you ahead of the game. Something as simple as if you're going to an in-person audition, staple your resume to your headshot. So simple, right? And it's just something that to this day, I have probably 75% of the people that walk in the door just have their resume and their headshot just kind of awkwardly handed to me. So something as simple as stapling that, trimming it, you know, if it's not the same size, trim it, make it look nice so that my your first contact with the casting director looks professional and finished. And it looks like you care. It looks like you took that extra three minutes to just be ready, you know? And then of course, all the other things like, you know, when you're coming dressed, um, whether the, whether it's for a self tape or whether it's for an in-person audition, make sure you look presentable. You know, you should look your best, especially with a self tape. This is, everything is under your control. So you're the one filming yourself, make sure what you're wearing looks flattering, make sure you feel comfortable, make sure you're not restricted, that the movement looks nice. Same with like your hair and your makeup, everything just take that extra few minutes to make sure you look the way you want to look, you know, the way that you want to present. So take away what they maybe want you to look like, but just know that you're putting your best foot forward. Gosh, what else? I don't know. There's just so many things I could go on and on. I love that you said the trimming of the headshot resume, the stapled in the four corners. Hey, guess what dancers? Who else told you the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> so they've learned this already, which is good because you would think at circ level, that's professionals. You would think that they would know this basic information, but apparently not everybody's gotten the memo. So yes, having a basic headshot and resume, stapled, aesthetically pleasing, nicely formatted, all the things. Now, speaking with the casting process with circ, I would imagine that the casting process has slightly changed a little bit since the pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about what the casting process looks like now in today's market? If a dancer wanted to be considered for a show, what would they do? Where do they look? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously things have changed a lot since post-pandemic. So your very initial step is to go to casting.cirquedisplay.com. You'll see there, there's all different links for different disciplines. Obviously here at Cirque, we've got dancers, but we also have singers and acrobats and circus performers. We really have 
everything, right? So you would navigate to dancers because we're all dancers here and you would create an online profile. So to do that, you, I always tell people, make sure you have your resume and your headshot ready to upload. Cause that's the first thing that they're going to ask you to do. And then after that, they're going to ask for different multimedia. So Obviously, a demo reel is great. I love a demo reel because it gives me a really quick overview of kind of everything you've done, whether that's in, you know, in performance, it can be class footage, but just a really nice demo reel is great. But on top of that, upload anything else that you think would benefit and just showcase all of your skills, right? And if this is even within dance, if in your demo reel, there's nothing, you know, let's say you're a tapper, but you've never booked a job or never, you know, gotten footage of you tapping get in a room, film yourself tapping and upload that because, you know, there's a lot of random obscure roles that we have here at Cirque that I will need that random extra and you might have that random extra. So I just really want to nail in that you have to showcase everything. Some people do a demo reel and it's just everything, all the gigs they've done, but I can't actually see how they dance, you know? So it'd be great to also have some class footage in there, you know, anything that showcases other styles that might not be in your major demo reel as well of of course if you have special skills if you do aerial work you know anything else you roller skates I don't want to get too obscure but you know sometimes those things are helpful and if, if you don't put footage make sure you include it in your resume you know that little special skills box at the end of your resume any random that's really the place to throw in if you've got martial arts training or gymnastics or tumbling any of that extra stuff we actually do look at that and we look for that so you know it's one or two lines at the bottom of your resume put all that in there now after that somebody from our team will go through and evaluate so anybody that uploads a new profile we go ahead and evaluate your footage. So based on that, we decide, okay, are you at the level that we're looking for? First of all, right? Because we don't take just anybody. You have to be a really high level, professional level dancer to book a job at Cirque. Then from there, once we say, okay, yes, they're great. We either decide one, can they fit in one of the projects we already have? You know, one of our shows that are already running or, Hey, do they have something special that they might be a really great fit for a new project coming up or a creation or a special event or something else that we might not necessarily know, but we want to keep an eye on this dancer because we see them as a fit. And then further down that process, if we do have an open casting call, we go through and all of those dancers that we've prospected that we've said, hey, that dancer would be really great for MJ1. Now there's an open casting call at MJ1. So we'll reach out to you. Sometimes we reach out to you directly. Other times we do a big social media blast and, you know, on our Instagram and our Facebook. And we say, hey, we have an open casting call looking for this type of profile. Either way, from there, we'll do what we call a specific video submission. This is when we'll give you actual choreography from the shows or we ask for something more specific and we ask you to film what's kind of in the industry known as a self-tape. So then we go through and then that goes to our shows. And then from there, they'll kind of cut it down and narrow it down to who they want to see at an in-person audition. So then from there, we'll bring in people specifically. Sometimes, you know, we ask you to come in yourself. Other times, if we want to see you enough, we'll actually fly you in to the shows and travel you so we can audition. And then from there, it's like a typical audition, you know, the shows will then narrow it down and decide who they want to hire. So it's kind of a really grand overview of how we, how we do things. Yeah. Moving to the digital, the self-tape audition first, and then an in-person or is the in-person not even happening anymore? 
We do some in-person auditions every summer. Actually, we're making it kind of an annual thing where you're doing a general audition based here in Vegas. It's usually in summer. It's usually a two-day event. And the first day is a workshop. And then the second day is auditions. But even for that event, it's not an open call. So we will put an application online. People will, you know, update their casting profiles or they'll create new casting profiles. I literally, and I could say me, I will go through every single application and look at every single dancer that applies. And I will decide then whether they make it to the Vegas general audition or not. So last year we had over 400 applications. We ended up allowing a hundred, I think it was 140 dancers that came this summer. We're going to do the same format. We're going to open up an online application, but we're limiting. So we're going to do 75 to hundred maximum. So we're going to really kind of dial it down. So the in-person audition, then it kind of feels like a callback essentially, because you're already screening them from the initial preliminary digital submission, and then you're only selecting a a select few. So let's assume a dancer gets to that round. They get in person. What does that two-day workshop audition look like? So uh, we're going to do something very similar to what we did last year. So the first day we do, we actually have our own artists come in and teach classes. We did one contemporary class and one hip hop class. It was artist led, which was really cool because then all the auditioners got to meet and work with our current artists that are in our shows now here in Vegas. We also had a character workshop with one of our dance coaches. And then we also had a Q&A. So it was really kind of this whole day. It wasn't too, too long, but it was just to give them an opportunity to kind of be on stage at one of our theaters, kind of learn how we work. The Q&A was with artists, was with myself, dance coaches, senior ADs. We really got kind of everyone involved so they could really ask whatever they had in mind. And there was somebody there that could answer them. Then the second day, which was really more of an audition day, we started out with choreography from Beatles Love, then we moved into MJ1, and then we moved into Mystere. So there were three parts. And then as the day went on, we did a cut. So then there was a call back in the afternoon for those shows. We also did a freestyle round, you know, for anybody that their strength was freestyle. And then we also from there, because I do casting for all of the dance projects within Cirque. So we use Love, MJ, and Mystere kind of as our base because they cover a lot of styles within those three shows. But I'm there scouting for all of our projects. So anybody that's in there that might not be a fit for those particular shows, I might still be keeping them for callbacks because I see something that I want to see, you know, for another project outside of our Vegas shows. Sounds like a pretty grueling process for the these dancers. I mean, they really have to show their stuff. How important is versatility to be a part of a third show? Super important. Honestly, it's one of the things I always talk about. It's all about versatility because, for instance, I'll tell you, Beatles Love, it's a really great example. A lot of the movement is based in like street, like uh, locking and house and popping and you've got that really strong base, but then they have to be able to do partnering for more contemporary movement, almost lyrical movement. So it really ranges, right? You have to be able to, at least if it's not your strength, you have to be able to blend 
You know, you have to be able to pick up the choreography and at least give the essence that the AD or the dance coach is looking for, because then they know, okay, with a little bit of extra push, they'll get there. We just have to know that you have that muscle and that training to pick up and mimic and really just kind of be adaptable and change styles and change within styles. So it's super important. You don't have to be, you know, prima ballerina, but there's some shows you do. So I won't say you don't always have to, but a lot of our shows and our special events and our touring projects as well, you have to be able to just be versatile or open to learning new things. So it's super important. Versatility when it comes to the skill is one thing. What about international dancers? Like I, I know a lot of people international that have worked with CERT. What does the process look like for them? I understand that there's visas that are sometimes given to dancers that are hired. How do they get considered? Are they invited to the in-person? Do they have to go to the in-person even if they're from another country? How does that work for international dancers? So for our Vegas audition, we consider artists from wherever. So the Vegas audition, it's a really big thing. So we do not travel the artist out. So anybody who's invited, they are responsible for getting themselves there, finding their own housing, you know, but we obviously we open it up to everyone, you know, it is international. And we did have quite a few dancers who did travel in from Australia, from France, from all over, because it is our one time a year that we kind of hold this closed audition, but as far as in person, person, yes. yes. As far as something that's more specific, you know, if it's something that we've already done, we're doing casting calls just by video self tapes. Sometimes we've done this before where we'll do a zoom audition. So if it's somebody that cannot travel, but it's somebody that we're really, really interested in, we'll do a zoom audition. So we'll set that up between the artists and the ADs. It's not ideal, but it gets you there, right? It gets you, you get to interact, you see how they take notes. So obviously there's ways around an in-person audition and we have booked, you know, directly from a Zoom audition. So that's always a possibility. I'll touch on international dancers. If there is an artist who's international, obviously I'm going to be very frank and honest with you. If you are if you have working rights in the US, obviously that's easier for our for instance our Vegas productions, but it's not always, it's not for sure. There is a kind of priority or preference if you already have working rights in the U.S. Now for our touring shows or our special events, that's not the case. Those kind of productions, because oftentimes they'll rehearse, they'll start the rehearsal process in Montreal. So actually the first place they'll touch is Canada. So those types of projects, then there's no longer that consideration or that preference for somebody that has U.S. working rights. If you do get on any of our productions Our immigration team will help you. In the U.S., it's a P-1 visa. So it's a work visa for the U.S. Now, if you're on a tour or special event, obviously immigration will help you get whatever visa is appropriate or work permit is necessary for the countries that you're traveling to or that you're rehearsing at. Now, let's assume a dancer books a job. They're working with CERC. What can they expect? Are the contracts generally a certain time length? Uh, Maybe there a pay range, if you don't mind sharing, of what a low-end dancer makes and what a high-end dancer could make. What could a dancer expect if they got booked? So we have a couple different contract lengths. So here in Las Vegas, where I'm based and a lot of our shows are, we have one contract, which is called an on-call. So what this is, is this is usually for Vegas locals. It's somebody that's only called in on an as-needed basis. You know, if somebody calls out sick or someone has, you know, a leave of absence. So that's our very base, most basic contract. It's an on-call. So you just get paid 
for when you do the show and you get a show fee. We pay per show. So here in Vegas, most of our shows do 10 shows per week. So we work five days a week and they do two shows per night. So it's a pretty grueling schedule and you get paid for every show that you perform. Next kind of level up is what we have is like a short term or a temp contract. This might come in, this is anywhere between I'd say two to six months. You're coming in for someone who's got kind of a longer injury, maybe somebody who's out on maternity leave. So it's a longer contract, but it's still under a year. With those contracts, you get your show fees. You're also eligible for health insurance. We also offer 401k, which is not normal for not typical for dancers. Not typical for dancers. <laughs> you have an opportunity to put into a retirement plan, which is really cool. And then uh, the next step up from that is a permanent contract. So a permanent contract is usually typically a year long, sometimes a hair shorter, sometimes a hair longer, depending on where you're starting in the year, but it's usually on average about a year. And that's everything I mentioned before, you know, the show fees, your health insurance, your retirement. Now our touring shows, so those will differ pretty greatly or our special events. So special events generally run shorter, right? So it's like, it can be just a couple week rehearsals and then one time event. So those really vary quite widely. If you are on our touring shows, those contracts vary also depending on the tour schedule. So depending on when you're coming in, what they have lined up in the tour schedule, they like to kind of line it up. So for instance, if you're on one continent, you know, that might be one length of contract. If you're on a touring show, obviously they cover your exp- your travel expenses, your housing. Usually there's per diem, there's catering on site. So those touring contracts, you still get paid per show, but there's also a lot of extra perks that are thrown in there because you're traveling and you're away from home. So as far as show fees, I can't really pinpoint. Cirque is unique in the sense that a dancer coming in Somebody who is really green and has very little performance experience versus somebody who's had a long, long career and tons under their belt, they're not going to come in with the same show fee. So just because they're working on the same show, their fee is actually calibrated based upon their own professional experience. So a lot of dance jobs out there, it's like everyone on this gig, everyone makes the same fee. That's not the case with Cirque. So it's a little kind of tweak that we have within our company. Kind of like the corporate world where you get paid based on your experience level and it's negotiable and all of that. Can you give us like a range of what a low end performer, like say a green, I just booked my first big gig to the seasoned professional that's been with Cirque for 10 years, it's like a per super, show rate? Like, is there a. It, no, because it totally ranges because it ranges from the show that you're in. Mm. And then, you know, whether you're resident show or a touring show. It's such a wide range that I wouldn't feel comfortable giving any number because it's it wouldn't make sense, basically. Every gig is so different. Fair enough. I'm just trying to help the, the parents understand what their income potential could be. Yeah. Because I'll be talking $250 a show, $500 a show, $1,000 a show, $50 a show. I mean, there's so many what people's perspectives and ideas. That's what I'm trying yeah. to give, like a low range, like bottom, 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 bottom. Versus like somebody who's very established that maybe even uh, a featured headliner dancer or a basic chorus dancer or just, just a, yeah, I mean, I would say definitely not under, you would never go under a hundred for sure. Per show, of course, over a hundred, the high range is on honestly hard to say because you know, I'll give myself as an example. I started out as a dancer, you know, just kind of part of the ensemble, but then I was dance captain. So then obviously there's pay bumps for that. And then 
you know, eventually I became a backup character. And within Cirque, if you back anything up or you do anything above and beyond, you usually get, you know, kind of a pay bump per show that you perform. So depending on whether it's an acrobatic act or a character, you'll get additional fees on top of that. And then once you're a full-time character, you'll get a rate it continues to climb, right? Depending on what you're doing. So obviously if you start just as an ensemble dancer, that's one fee, but you know, that continues to climb. And the other thing we always like to say too, with Cirque is you have your show fee, but if you're on a temp or a permanent contract, you also have vacation, you have sick days, you have personal days, you have access to our physio team, our um, performance medicine team that is there on site. So if you've got any kind of you know, crooks in your neck, they're there on site to help you. We have trainers that are on site to give you a strength and conditioning program if you need it and if you want it. So we have a lot of added perks within our contracts here at Cirque that other companies don't offer. Like I mentioned, the health insurance and the retirement plan. So we have like this really, really fabulous padded package deal. So it's hard to kind of pinpoint and that's kind of everything that goes into it. So I will say this though, I am a professional dancer. I've worked, you know, since 2002, I've been working and I've spent the last 10 years as a performer at Cirque. And I found that the contracts were great and allowed me flexibility and allowed me to have a family and have kids. And I was able to go on maternity leave and all of these things that I did not do and was not able to do as a freelance dancer in LA for 10 years. So I'll just totally. put it there. And, and, I, <laughs> and I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. So my sister and brother-in-law who are actually visiting me this weekend, they're in that same boat where they're a family. They have a one and a half year old. My niece is literally touring with them. Like you could never do those things with other types of shows. And yes, there's benefits and all kinds of perks and they get injured. There's a physio, there's a chiro, there's somebody on set, like all on the shows, you know, there's all these perks that as a freelance dancer in LA that you just don't get. So it's understandable why it's attractive, especially a maturing dancer. That's not looking for the, the rush of gig, 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 gig all the time. Cause when you're young, you're like, I feel like I'm missing out. I don't want to commit to anything. <laughs> I want to do every little gig. And, um, but as you get more mature, then you don't, want to have to hustle so much. <laughs> and it also so. works the opposite way. Like at Cirque, you know, like you mentioned for a lot of older dancers and season who are still really right in their prime, but they're ready to just kind of get a steady contract. They don't want to hustle as hard. Like they want to know that they hear they're putting in their time, they're doing their work and, you know, and that they're going to have some longevity within this company. We have the opposite. We have younger dancers who are amazing, but maybe don't have that performance experience and, or don't have the bank account and the savings to go out to LA and just kind of try their luck. So we've got a lot of younger dancers too, that do come through Cirque and they work for Cirque for a few years, build up the performance experience, build up their bank accounts within like, especially I always speak of Vegas because that's where I'm based out of. And that's where a lot of our dance shows are. It's got such a great community here. They all teach class. They all take class. You know, they do little projects on the side for each other. And, you know, it's really an awesome opportunity to grow here, right? There's a really great circus community. So if you want to learn circus arts, you know, aerial arts, a lot of younger dancers come through Cirque. And it's actually, I would say it's about 50-50, where we have younger dancers as well as older dancers that all come in because um, but you feel like you get that both spectrums where you get the the rookie dancer that's 
you know, doesn't know what to do with their life yet, but they want to secure a contract. And then you get the mature dancer that's like, okay, I've been there, done that. I've done all the gigs. I want something more, more secure, yeah. more steady. Is that kind yeah. of the pull? And then do you, I mean, I'm sure you get up all, all age and demographics. You, we totally do. We get all ages. Cause there's just some people that like a CERT contract is just, it suits them, right? Like different dancers, like you're just built for different types of projects. Like there's certain dancers that they're meant to be backup dancers, or there's others who are meant to be on Broadway. And there's some dancers where like they're in their mid twenties and they find out actually Cirque is their niche. Like this is their, their sweet spot. So we do have actually quite a few dancers in their, I'd say like mid twenties, you know, that have kind of bumped around and tried all the other things. And then they found that this is where they've landed and this is kind of home for them. Yeah. That's what happened to my brother-in-law. I don't think he has done another job in 12 years. I think he wow. has been with Cirque living out of a suitcase his entire time. So during COVID was the first time he actually planted his flag. (laughs) So that was like super foreign for him. But yeah, I know, I know a lot of artists that they love it and they don't want to do anything else and they'll just do it until they retire. Yeah. So I'm not totally surprised. Let's shift gears a little bit. You mentioned Broadway. I know you didn't do Broadway, but you were in New York as a Radio City Rocket. Okay. Is that- I was not. So I'm. Oh, okay. It. So I worked for Radio City. So I did the. Ah. I am five one. So not in my wildest dreams would I ever be a Rocket. Because <laughs> they are five foot six, I think, is the minimum height. So I worked in the ensemble. So for many, many years, I did the touring shows, actually. Okay. Okay. Okay, cool. So for the Radio City Christmas show, I don't know how many of you seen the shows, but they have the Rockettes. Those are the headliners, but they also have an ensemble. So they've got singers and dancers that are also within the show. So I did that for many, many years. And then I actually was supposed to do the New York cast. I was mm. booked. I was like ready to get my sublet in Astoria. And then I actually got the call for to go on tour with Celine Dion. So I had to life my opportunity to do New York and I went on tour with Celine instead. So, okay. Well, you still, you still worked for the Rockets. Okay. So, okay. We're in New York. It wasn't New York, but you did the touring show. I did the touring Uh, show five years, I think. Yeah. Well, that's a good length of time. And that was at a U.S. based tour or was that international? It was U.S. Yeah. It was U.S. based tours. Yeah. Amazing. So what can you share? Uh, Cause I think, I think we have some dancers that uh, Rockets is something that they aspire to do. What are some things that they, that uh, you could share about your experience, anything that you definitely need to, dancers should know about if they ever want to audition for something like this. Give us some insight on. Yeah. Being- so Rockettes, it's a really particular style. The mm. movements, you know, if anyone's seen them, it's very clean and sharp and particular, and you have to be able to pick up very quickly and take really, really detailed notes. So anybody who is, you know, striving for that, they do, I think, intensives and they do kind of courses. I highly recommend looking into that because it is such a specific type of movement that if you haven't done it before, it's hard to learn. Like it's hard to pick up your first time, or I would say go to an audition crash and burn if you need to, but then you get a sense of what they're looking for so that for the next year, you know, and you come prepared. They love clean lines. It's very New York based, right? So even if you're auditioning in LA, make sure, and I actually don't know that they audition in LA anymore. I think you have to audition in New York, but make sure your outfit, it's very clean, classic. If you're auditioning for Rockets, it's tights and a leotard and your hair is pulled back in a French twist, really like long lines, 
and just, you have to be so respectful. And so just always have your listening caps on because, you know, in New York, I think the rocket line, I think it's 36 girls. So there's not room for chitter chatter or, you know, you have to be on your game all the time because it's a lot of bodies to work with. And I loved my time working for Radio City. I did it on and off. Like I said, I think I ended up doing about five years worth. And some of the people that I worked with on those shows are still to this day, my closest friends. It's about team building and teamwork. And you go through this because it's only for the Christmas period. You know, the Rockets, I do think they have a spring show now, but their main gig is in the winter. So you go hard for like September, October until January, and you are dancing. You know, you Rockets, Ensemble, everyone is dancing. But it's an amazing gig and I I really loved it and I loved my time there. So anyone who wants to do it, I say go for it because it's it's a lot of fun. Amazing. Somebody on Facebook, Dylan, who's from Astoria, he says that there's a large cast now because they're doing so many shows per day. Do you know anything about that? So what they do in New York, um, one of my best friends actually was did New York for the last few years. They have two casts. They have a gold cast and a blue cast. So basically because I think there's almost six shows in a day at Radio City Music Hall. So no one cast of obviously could do all six shows. So they split it. So there's always two casts in New York. So there's one cast that does the morning shows and then one cast that does the kind of later afternoon evening shows. So it is double casted in New York. So it is pretty big, even though it's just one production, they hire a lot of people. Dancers per show, do you know? I don't know, actually. It's a pretty big cast because if anyone's been to that theater, it's massive. So I used to do the touring productions, which were smaller and some productions even smaller than others. But the New York cast is pretty big. So there's quite a few ensemble dancers, singers. They do make you sing. So if you go to an ensemble dancer audition, make sure you don't have to be, you know, this amazing singer. And I I can say that because I did the show and I'm not an amazing singer, but you have to be able to carry a tune and you have to commit because they basically want to see if you can sing and dance simultaneously. (laughs) So you make sure you get some training in that, learning how to pick up movement and sing while you're doing it. So you have to do that. So don't do. Huh? (laughs) You sing, you dance, you count, your mom, your wife, you count. <laughs> I know technically you can go anything from the classical world to the hip hop world and everything in between. My goodness, I love it. So let's shift gears just a little bit too. So we've done Cirque, we've talked about uh, Rockettes. Now let's uh, shift into working with and traveling with artists. Like you worked, I think you toured, you mentioned Celine Dion. Uh, I think you worked with Katy Perry and and being a, I hate the the term backup dancer, but working with artists as a dancer, any stories you'd like to share, any insight that you'd like to share, anybody particularly you enjoyed working with? I think I've been really lucky because the artists that I've worked with have all been really lovely. I was lucky enough to tour with Celine and she is amazing. I cannot like say more wonderful things about her. Um, She really treated all of us like her family. And it was a very small cast. It was eight dancers, four girls, four guys. So we were, you know, really tight knit and she was just lovely. And she, every single show laid it out there, you know, and there were times that she struggled with her voice and her health and she would go through that show and you wouldn't 
you wouldn't know. You would have no idea. And as soon as the show was done, she would collapse because she had just given it all. So she was incredible. I can't say, you know, more wonderful things about her. Katy Perry, I did an award show with her, which was super fun. And the story I'll say to follow up about that one, the performance that we did, we were all in kimonos. So it was kind of this Japanese themed performance. We had these like amazing authentic, beautiful kimonos. And every dancer at the end of the job got to bring them home. We got to take them home with us, which was super cool. And then another random thing that she did, she had like all, because you know how celebrities, they get a lot of free things and clothes and bags and accessories and all this stuff, right? They're showered with all of these, this free stuff. She basically brought like a truck full to the venue, put it in a room and told the dancers like, have at it. So all of the dancers that did the special event got like, I think we drew numbers or whatever, so that it was like, you know, random who got to go in the room first and everyone got like their round and their turn to go into this room and just pick like free stuff of hers, of Katie's. So that was super cool. So what you get at the end of the day? <laughs> I think I got this really cute, like onesie. It was like this black, um, like satin onesie. And then I got a pair of sweats. I don't, I don't even remember now, but it was because you only had like a certain time to go in this room. And it was also to try to pick something that actually fit you. Right. Cause it's like stuff of all different sizes and stuff like that. So, but it was super fun. Like, it was just like, how cool for her to do that. And it was like, I don't know, 20 dancers. And we just like, it was just fun. It was like a fun added bonus to already doing a really great gig with her. Trying to think what else my story with Mariah Carey. So I was actually a last minute replacement. She was sketched. She was supposed to do SNL in New York. And I had worked with the choreographer in LA, just kind of helping him with some of the movement and just kind of skeleton crew, but then they needed a last minute replacement for SNL. So I literally got the phone call was, I think got the phone call in the afternoon was on a plane that evening, red eye to New York. I met with choreographer, learned all the choreography in his hotel room. I think had rehearsal at the studio in the morning. And then we were on set at 30 rock filming SNL. And that was like, it was like this. I mean, I, it was such a blur. And then it was, I was just on stage with Mariah Carey. I think it was Mariah Carey and her guest artist was T-Pain. And within like 48 hours, I was on national TV performing with her. High pressure, <laughs> high pressure. Any tips for the dancers watching? Because clearly sometimes you got to just drop life and jump on a plane. That actually happened to one of uh, our dancers. I think she's here with us. Kiana, are you here? Yeah, she's off camera because she's in a show right now, but she booked a Shania Twain music video. It was literally, can you be in rehearsals tomorrow at 11 a.m.? And she's in high school and had to fly from Vancouver to LA right after school. <laughs> so it was like, are you, are you market tech? Yeah. And that's the life of a dancer. That's the life of a dancer. And honestly, like my time, so I was in LA for about 10 years, a little longer than that, maybe, but that is the life of a dancer. You just have to drop everything and do it. And it's hard because on the one hand, it's like, you can't really plan, you know, like you can't plan a vacation or plan to visit your family or plan this because you just, you don't know. Like I remember one time I was in Seattle visiting my family and there was a Madonna audition. You know, it was just like, so they just announced it and it was, you know, this day and this time. And I remember paying, I, 
like $500, which was a lot at that time to fly from Seattle back to LA, but I did it because I was like, I can't miss this audition. You know, I have to go and audition for Madonna. So, you know, there's just things that, you know, you just have to be ready and you have to be mentally ready to just drop everything. And if that's what you want, then you got to go for it, you know? And sometimes you're not ready. And sometimes, you know, life, personal life is more important than a gig or an audition. And that's okay too. And I think as a dancer, you have to be okay making that choice for yourself and saying, you know, I don't think I'm the right one for that gig. So I'm not going to drop everything for that. Or, you know what, that job doesn't offer me enough. Like the pay is not enough. It's just not something that I really want to do. So I think as a dancer, you have to have a really strong sense of self and where you are at this point in your career to make those kind of decisions for yourself, you know? I'm loving all of this, but I want to hear from the dancers. We only have 10 minutes left. So I'm going to open it up to the dancers. Dancers, raise your hand if you have a question for Miss Tammy. Yes, Miss Bella, let's pin you. Unmute yourself. Okay. Hi. Thank you for talking to us. So I got on the call a little bit late. I don't know if you already said this. I'm sorry if I'm making you repeat yourself, but what age did you like start booking? gigs and things like that and shows and stuff because I know like like sometimes like I'll if I, I'm thinking about trying to book something but I'm like oh like maybe I'm just like like a dream job that I have or something could I even aim for that at my age or something I don't know how to explain it but what age did you start so I started I went to college I did the whole nine yards so I graduated high school I went to college up in Seattle but I started my professional career dancing for the Sonics, the Seattle Supersonics. So it was an NBA team. So at that time, I think I was 20, I guess, when I started doing that. So for me, you know, that was my path because I wanted to go to school. So then I didn't actually move to LA until I was 22, which for some dancers is really old, to be honest with you, that for me, that was the path I needed to take. And because I also felt like when I was 22 and I moved to LA, I was in a different space. Like I was ready, you know, I had spent the four years in college. And so when I went to LA, I was ready to do whatever, you know, whatever I needed to do. And so I worked side gigs and, you know, worked at a gym and taught dance and did all this stuff so that I could be sure to be ready to kind of hustle and audition and have already everything in place. Like I had all my resumes and my headshots and I had kind of a savings built up. So I was ready to kind of hit the ground running. So, but that path is different for everyone. Honestly, there's, you know, people that move straight out of high school. I know here in Vegas, there's a lot of dancers, you know, that if there's random little corporate jobs or, you know, little things here that they can still do as, you know, a younger dancer that's still in high school, you know, there's, you just have to have, I think, the right support, you know, whether that's from your family and whether that's, you know, just mental or spiritual or financial, whatever that support is. If you are a younger dancer trying to make it in the business to have that support system, because it's hard, you know, being out in the industry. And there's a lot of people who are, you know, I don't want to be scary, but there's a lot of people who will try and take advantage or, you know, and so you really have to make sure you've got a strong, strong support system behind you if you're starting out um, as a younger dancer. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So much, Bella. Jesse, I'm going to pin you, unmute yourself. What is your question? Hi. First, thank you so much just for taking your time to speak to us. I've gotten so much insight already. I feel like you explain everything really well. But I am from Canada. 
So I was just wondering, like you mentioned Canadian projects in Montreal, like Montreal is just a few hours away from me. But I was just wondering, like out of all the projects and special events, like how much actually have dancers in them or require dancers? Yeah. So more and more, I will say that one project I just recently helped uh, the casting for was for Helena Fischer. She's a German pop star. She's like one of the biggest pop stars in Germany, but she has collaborated with Cirque for the last, her last two tours. So we hired 10 dancers that did a workshop in Montreal back in December. And they're actually now in Belgium rehearsing with her and they're going to be doing like a six month European tour. So we have, you know, projects like that, which are amazing, you know, to be able to kind of basically back up dance. I don't, we don't like saying that, but you know, they're dancing with this pop artist. We also have special events. So within, in Montreal, they have kind of a yearly yeah, I would say annual show. Uh, it's in Trois-Rivières. So they oftentimes hire local dancers, uh, local, generally Montreal-based dancers for that kind of project. Another really growing line of special events that we have are actually in Saudi Arabia. The Cirque has been working a lot with Saudi Arabia for their National Day, Riyadh, and these are massive events. Um, think like Olympic ceremonies, opening ceremonies type events. So there's tons and tons of dancers that are being hired for these projects, but they're just like one, one-off gigs, right? So it's not that it's an ongoing contract, but it's, you rehearse, you know, pretty heavy in Montreal and then everyone flies over to Saudi Arabia and they're, you know, rehearse there and then they do these big shows. And so that's becoming also more and more regular, but This last year, obviously, was just relaunching and getting back up on our feet. Now, our events and experiences is really taking off. It's one of the biggest kind of quarter, uh, biggest portions of our event lineup now is our event. So, yes, we have our resident shows, but now these events that are kind of coming in and they vary from year to year and what the what the scope is really varies, but more and more dancers are being involved. So it's growing. It's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Let's go back to our group. Anybody have any questions? There seems to be a lot of interest in the CERC process. One of which, is there any, this is a good question, I think. Is there any choreographers, like if somebody doesn't get a chance to audition in person, is there any choreographers that you would recommend or teachers that you would recommend that a dancer trains from or works with? that could help them, you know, be more prepared for an audition? That's a really good question. So I would say, you know, you would probably have to do your research on this, but if there was a particular show you were interested in, for instance, MJ1, I'll use MJ1 as an example, right? So MJ1 was directed by Jamie King, super, you know, really well-known director in the dance world. Um, but he brought in Paris Goebel. He brought in Rich and Tone, Talawega, Travis Payne. Um, he brought in a lot of big name, you know, choreographers to do that show, to create that show. So I would say anytime you have the opportunity to take from any of those choreographers that were part of the creative team, absolutely. Like, take from them because those are the people who created the show. So those are the people like their movement is in our show. So if you're good at that movement, 
you'll be good at what we do, right? And also, like, we're still very much in touch with the creators. So, you know, if there's ever a dancer that they're like, you have to see this dancer, they're perfect for the show, like those names eventually filter through to us. So, you know, that's always a good one. And that I'll say that for Beatles Love, you know, I mentioned with love, like it get into your locking classes, get into your house classes, you know, if that's a style that's foreign to you, you know, study up on that. I'll go back to MJ one. This is something we always find is people aren't familiar with MJ's style, right? So then study up on him, study up, like watch MJ, study smooth criminal, you know, all of those iconic dance videos are so important. And then I think honestly, for me, it's just well-roundedness. You know, I love a dancer that I can tell has trained in many different disciplines and trained heavily in different disciplines. Like I said, you don't have to be the best, but I want to see if you're a B-boy, I want to see that you can also pick up some, you know, commercial pop choreography. So really go, don't take the classes that are just comfortable for you. Take the classes that are uncomfortable and that's, what's going to help you grow and make you a better dancer and make you more marketable for us. And for anybody, the more tricks up your sleeve, the more tools in your toolkit, the more opportunity. Now, is there a central location where someone might be able to do some research on who the choreographers are for the show? Is that information on the website somewhere? Or how can they find out who's choreographing their dream jobs? I don't actually know for sure. It might be on the websites. If you go to each individual show's websites, you might be able to find creators. Honestly, a lot of it you could find online. Wikipedia, (laughs) stuff like that. You might be able to find those kind of choreographers. Tabitha and Napoleon work with us a lot. So that's, you know, a good base. But yeah, I would say online. I don't have a good answer for that, but check online on the website. So Wikipedia does have listings of the six today shows and the cast. Yeah, some of the shows. You can find it on Wikipedia. Um, But also within each show's, you know, their actual websites, you might be able to find. Another good thing is like follow their Instagram pages or follow artists who are in the shows because then you'll kind of see what those dancers look like and what those dancers, how they dance, how they train. We have our Cirque du Soleil casting Instagram. That's a really good resource as well. They do a lot of behind the scenes, you know, footage and tips and tricks and stuff. But Instagram, as much as I don't love social media, it's also such a great tool for, you know, dancers, you know, now that's also your calling card, you know, for me, a casting director, that's where I go. Sometimes if I don't see what I need to see in your demo reel, I'll check your instas and see, okay, they took this class and that class and they look good. So, you know, that's so important as well, but use that also as your research. So don't just use Insta as like killing time and just, you know, like looking up old boyfriends or old girlfriends profiles, you know, actually use it as a research tool, you know, whether it's for Cirque or for any other company. I can't believe our hour is up. There's so much I'd love to talk to you about. Any final words of advice that you would love to give? We've got dancers that are in college transitioning. We've got small children. We have competition kids. We have in university. We have college graduates. We already have professional dancers, some with agents, some without. Is there any words of advice to this next generation of dancers that you would like to give as your final words? I think my final word would just be every dancer has their own path. And that's so, so important. You know, whether like my path as a dancer, I'm so happy that I had the career that I had, but I never would have fathomed that like when I started or when I was taking classes as a student at a dance studio, like 
And you have to give yourself some grace and just know that your journey is not going to be the next person's journey or your best friend's journey. Like everybody's journey is so different and everybody is talented in their own way. And just because you don't book a certain kind of gig doesn't mean that you might not be perfect for this other kind of gig, right? Or that in two years, you might be perfect for that original gig. So it's really just sticking, you know, if this is what you want to do, if you want to be a professional dancer, open your eyes to every opportunity. Don't tunnel vision yourself into one path. Really give yourself, you know, all the tools in your toolbox and open your eyes to every opportunity so that you have options for yourself. And if your path right now is not this direction, maybe it will, maybe it will grow that way, but you know, just be open, open opportunities. Cause I see so many amazing talented dancers that like didn't get that one gig and they get really disheartened and then they just kind of spiral down and then eventually out. And it's the dancers that really persevere and keep at it and try. Those are the dancers that eventually end up at the career that I think they want or at the career they didn't know that they wanted, but they're there and they have it and it's amazing and it's beautiful. So I guess that's my final words. Thank you. Beautiful words and great advice. Everyone, give some hearts to Tammy. We appreciate you. We appreciate your wisdom, your passion, your expertise. It's just so great to reconnect with you after so many years. And that concludes another episode of the Business of Dance podcast. We hope you found today's conversation insightful and gained valuable knowledge. Be sure to join us next time for more inspiring interviews with top professionals in the dance industry. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the Business of Dance on your favorite platform and take a moment to leave a review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by the Business of Dance online mentorship program to help aspiring professional dancers create their dream dance careers. Thank you for listening. Until next time.